Well, happy Pentecost. Yeah? You guys look pretty good today. See a lot of red out there? looks kind of like game day in Fayetteville. And I like that especially because, like of all days on this Pentecost Sunday, we ought to be coming with at least the same kind of energy we bring to a football game, right? Uh, This is a major day of celebration for the church. It is a big day, but the question we're going to start off and try to answer is, why? Like, why is Pentecost a big deal? Why does it matter? Why is it important? We know it's got something to do with wind and voices uh, in different languages and fire, And it's all a big miracle that's relating to the Holy Spirit. But what's the Holy Spirit doing? Why is he coming? Why does it matter? Um, I think when we're reading through Scripture and we come across something that we don't totally understand, we just kind of read it and go, okay, that's interesting. Then we kind of move on to the parts we're more confident about. Uh, But what I want to suggest today is that Pentecost is something uh, that doesn't need to be skipped over. It's too important. It's too central. But it's okay if we're a little bit confused. Uh, The people who were there on the day it happened found themselves asking the question, what does this mean? You may have been feeling that way just a couple of minutes ago when I and other people started to stand up and read. Uh, uh, If you've been here for a while, you've seen that happen before. If not, on Pentecost we read uh, in many different languages. It kind of takes us back to that moment when God spoke uh, through his people in all these different languages proclaiming the gospel. And if it's a little bit uh, disorienting, that's okay, uh, because Pentecost is, it's meant to be. But for what? Unto what purpose? Uh, so today we're going to try to put ourselves in the shoes of those who were there on that day, and we're going to ask two questions. The first question that they ask when all these things happened was, what does this mean? So that's step number one. But then after that, Peter gets up and he explains what it means, uh, and then they ask another question, and that is, uh, what shall we do? So those are the two questions that we're looking at today. What does it mean, and what shall we do? What do we do about it once we understand what it means? So to understand Pentecost, uh, to appreciate what's actually going on and and how it fits into God's whole story, we've got to go back to the Old Testament. This is because uh, Scripture is all uh, one story. God's the author of the whole thing. It is not as though the Old Testament uh, was uh, one story that didn't work out, and so you start a whole new one. You kind of a reboot to the story. Um, the Old Testament is the story that makes sense of the New Testament. And when you don't understand what's going on in the New Testament, you want to go back there for context. Um, when anything happened in New Testament times, it was happening to a people, among a people, among whom God had been cultivating a, a particular kind of imagination for like 1,500 years. He had acted among them and given them scripture, and the stuff that happens in the Old Testament ends up being um, all of the images and pictures and symbols and signs that, they, that fill their imagination, and so those are the things they used to understand anything new that was happening. That's how they would understand their world, um, and that's not an accident. God had given them those things on purpose so that they would understand what was happening later, uh, and, and when God did new things to fulfill uh, the things that he had started. Uh, earlier in the life of the people of Israel. So I can try to explain that a lot, but I think the easiest thing to do and the best thing to do is to give you an example that you're already familiar with. So probably one of the best-known places where the Old Testament uh, clearly uh, gives us context for understanding what's happening in the New Testament is in Passover. right? I'm going to explain this, but I think most of you are already familiar with it. Uh, But it's setting us up to talk about Pentecost. So Passover, as you know, is the celebration that the people of Israel have kept every year uh, ever since the Exodus. 
the remembrance of this moment where God uh, sends Moses and does all these mighty miracles uh, to bring Israel out of slavery in Egypt after 400 years of that. And it culminates when he tells them, I want you to have this meal together in your homes, and I want you to be ready to go. And you're going to sacrifice the lamb, and you're going to take the blood and put it over your doorpost. And I'm going to come with judgment on Egypt. But when I come, wherever I see the blood of the lamb, I will pass over. And he does that, and it leads to Israel being delivered. They are freed from slavery, and they go out into the desert at last. This is great act of salvation. Israel, again, they celebrate this. They reenact this in the Passover meal every single year. Their imagination is full of this story, and God means for it to be. So when Jesus comes, and he chooses his moment to die, he doesn't do it randomly. He chooses the Passover with tremendous intentionality to be the moment uh, for uh, for his own crucifixion. Um, We talked about this some a few weeks ago, but remember, early on in the Gospels, we see him largely avoiding public confrontations with the religious leaders. Uh, You see that especially in Mark. But then, uh, as we're building towards uh, the climax, we see him, even though the, the religious leaders are trying to kill him, he goes to Bethany just outside Jerusalem and raises his friend Lazarus from the dead, which creates quite a stir. The next thing you know, he's riding a donkey into Jerusalem, which we call the triumphal entry. And again, we talked about this a few weeks ago. He's essentially uh, proclaiming himself king. He's, he's making that public. And he goes on into the temple and shuts it down. So he's claiming all this authority. It's a huge, peaceful, but very confrontational move that he makes. And it results in his arrest and his crucifixion. But if, if all of this seems like it's randomly associated, it's clear that it's not because before he dies, he tells his disciples to prepare to celebrate the Passover meal together. He says, I've desired to eat this meal with you. And he eats it with them like any Israelite would have all this time uh, with, with all of the meaning that was in that, but he adds meaning to it when he says, uh, this is my body which is broken for you. This is my blood that is poured out for you. And so, you know, the disciples weren't expecting Jesus to die. That was a surprise. They thought he was going to go and overthrow the Romans and be king right then and there. But instead he goes to die. And that's very confusing. They're not sure what's going on. And so when they're trying to understand what's going on and what he reveals to them even more clearly later is that they're meant to understand his death in light of the Passover. Uh, He is the greater Passover lamb. His death, his blood... In the same way that that the blood of the Lamb uh, caused God's judgment to pass over Israel, uh, to to pass over all those who are in Christ. And in the same way, he is a greater Moses. Moses led the people of Israel out of slavery uh, to enemies. But Jesus is going to be a greater Moses, leading Israel on a greater exodus, leading his people on a greater exodus. Uh, When Israel left Egypt, uh, they escaped uh, bondage, but they took Um, a lot of uh, slavery with them in a way inside. They continued uh, to be subject to sin and to evil and to the service to these foreign gods. And it caused death and destruction in their midst over and over and eventually actually led them back into literal slavery again. Jesus is coming uh, through his death, his burial and his resurrection to to lead us out of sin and death, to overpower uh, the power of sin and death in the grave. A greater exodus and a greater Moses. So Jesus, what I'm arguing is that he tied uh, the the Passover and his own death together so that people would understand what was going on, so that the people of Israel, steeped in those stories, 
but would understand that he was fulfilling them. Does that make sense? And what I'm arguing then is that the exact same thing is happening with Pentecost and that it follows directly from what happened in the Passover. It is not a random event. It's not just a really spectacular miracle that occurred. And to understand that, we've got to go back to the first page of Acts. So Jesus rises from the dead. He appears to his disciples, and he he says a number of things to them, but he tells them that he wants them to gather on a mountain to meet him. So he shows up there, and their expectation, again, is the same as it was before. It's like, we thought you were going to overthrow the Romans. We thought you were going to take over and reign as king here and now. Instead, you died. But now you've risen from the dead. You have all power and authority. Amazing. Now, of course, you're going to do that. You're going to overthrow everything. You're going to rule as king, right? They say, it's in verse, uh, it's chapter 1, verse 6. They say, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? For sure now, right? And his response is, no. <laughs> Uh, he doesn't really explain why not exactly. Uh, he's about to ascend. He's going to go back to the Father, which is confusing. Why did you come back from the dead if you're just going to leave again? What's going on? You said you would never leave us or forsake us. Where are you going? But he, what he tells them, the instructions that he gives them, instead of a big explanation, is to go to Jerusalem and wait. He tells them to go to Jerusalem and wait. Now, this may not have made sense to them, but they had a context for it. When he told them to go to Jerusalem and wait, he was telling them to do something that all observant Jews would have been doing at that time anyway. That's because after the Passover, there was another big holiday 50 days later called the Festival of Weeks. The Festival of Weeks celebrates something that's, that's connected to a Passover, sort of like Passover is a bookend for this other event. And that is, 50 days after the Passover, God came down in fire, among the people of Israel. It's a little bit of a... (laughs) You're going to see that again in a second, so look for that. Um, God came down in power and in fire among the people of Israel. Where did that happen? On Mount Sinai, right? They're out in the desert. God's presence comes down on the mountain, and he gives them the law. And so this great gift Israel has now, and they celebrate from then on, Uh, Passover, they're freed from slavery, but that's not the end of the story. God freed them for something. He didn't just say, oh, go, now do your own thing. He meets them in the desert, and he says, you're going to be my people, and I'm going to be your God. And so I'm a holy God. You've got to be a holy people. You've got to have the law to follow. And, um, and, And so this is such a big deal that from then on, the, the people celebrate it with the Festival of Weeks. Uh, the Festival of Weeks had a different name also. It was also called... Pentecost. Pentecost means 50 days. Are you tracking? So Pentecost wasn't a new name for a holiday that Christians invented. It was an existing name for a Jewish holiday that happened 50 days after Passover. Do you think that God's up to something? You think there's some intentionality here? What I'm arguing is that he intended his people to understand the Pentecost event in light of the Sinai event. In the same way that Passover interprets and was fulfilled by his death, burial, and resurrection, Pentecost explains, is explained by, and fulfills Sinai. Okay? Now, let's think some more about this. How does that make sense? How does that work? Uh, Well, what did Sinai mean? What did the giving of the law mean? What was it all about? Like I said, God didn't save Israel for no reason. He saved them for a purpose because they were meant to be his people and, and, and they were supposed to be a blessing to the world. That's what he had told Abraham, right? 
but they were going to be able to do that because he would live in their midst. At Sinai, he came down and he didn't leave. He stayed with them. But if he was going to stay with them, again, they had to have the law because he's a holy God. They had to be holy too to have a holy God live with them. So his presence with them defined their identity. It gave them a mission and a purpose, but it was contingent on their obeying the law. They had to do that. They received an identity and a mission. In a way, Israel had existed for a long time since Abraham's family started to spread. But at Sinai, in many ways, Israel gets its identity as this this priestly people that's meant to represent God to the world and make him known to all nations. And, And so Sinai defines God's relationship with Israel. It's like a charter of his relationship with them. These are the terms, I will be with you, you will be my people, follow my law, be a blessing to the world. Those are the terms of his relationship with Israel. And it stood all those years until something happened that changed the situation. Until the terms of that agreement didn't make sense anymore. Until something greater than the exodus occurred. We've already named it. That is the coming of Jesus. He is the greater Passover lamb. He is the greater Moses who has led his people on a greater exodus. And so now, because Jesus has defeated the very power of sin and death, there is no longer any contingency to God being with his people. We don't have to follow the law anymore because God has done that. He has made his people holy by his own sacrifice. And so no longer is there a need uh, for a law uh, for, for God to dwell among his people. And so as there had been a greater Passover, now there also needed to be a greater Sinai. That is Pentecost. Consider the similarities. Fifty days after, uh, at, 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 at Sinai, God came down in power as fire. So did he at Pentecost. Uh, he came down and he spoke to his people. He gave them his word. So did he at Pentecost. And he did it so that they could be a blessing to the world. But consider the differences, very important differences. At Pentecost, I'm sorry, at Sinai, he came down on top of a mountain. And it was a terrible thing to behold. The people quaked. Uh, in the presence, and they said, Moses, you know, basically save us uh, from, from this mighty presence of God. At Pentecost, in light of what Christ has accomplished, the fire falls on God's people themselves. It's unmediated. On Sinai, God speaks to Moses, the mediator, and he goes and tells the people God's word. But now, God pours out his word on all of his people, men and women, uh, from different backgrounds. They are all speaking his word. Uh, and and uh, at Sinai, God's presence is with his people so they can be a blessing to the world, uh, but that doesn't really seem to happen. But here, immediately, God's blessing is poured out, not just for Israel, but for all nations. That's what's going on with the many languages that are spoke. Um, from now on, his word is being poured out uh, to all people. It's not limited to Israel. So we see uh, that it's like Sinai in many ways, but it's been transformed, a new uh, a, a new, he is reestablishing a new kind of relationship with his people, not on the basis of law, but on the basis of his own death and resurrection, on the basis of, of his sacrifice. And he's saying the same thing. He's saying, I have I'm, I'm come among you, and I will remain among you. Again, not because you keep my law, but because I love you and because of what I have accomplished. So this defi- if, if Israel was born in a new way at Sinai, The church's birthday is Pentecost. Happy birthday. (laughs) What I'm saying 
is that Jesus kept all of his promises. When he said, I will never leave you or forsake you. When he said, you will do even greater things than you saw me doing. How can that be true if he leaves? It's true because he did not leave. Jesus went to the right hand of the Father, and when he did, as the incarnation, flesh and blood, humanity, was united to the Godhead. But, but the corollary to that is that he sent his Holy Spirit to the church. These things are connected. The Son is with the Father in heaven, and the Spirit is poured out on the church so that it can literally be called the body of Christ. He continues to be present and alive in the world through his people by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's what Pentecost means. And that's cr- kind of crazy and hard for us to believe, uh, but it is the gospel witness that Jesus intends to live and work through us as he lived and worked in the world during his earthly ministry. And if you read the book of Acts, that's what you'll see. Uh, in the book of Acts, we see uh, at first Peter and John and later Paul doing incredible things. Uh, but if you look early on in Paul's life in Acts, or back to the Gospels for Peter and John, you see that they weren't doing great things at all. Um, they, were, they were failing a lot or doing terrible things in Paul's case. But with the coming of the Holy Spirit, uh, they're transformed. And so through the book of Acts, they're not the heroes, though they do seem to be doing heroic things. Jesus himself is the hero of the book of Acts. It is his name that is going out. It is his name that cannot be stopped, that cannot be overcome, no matter how much persecution comes against it. It's his name that's being resisted by the powers of the world. Jesus continues to be the hero of the story, even after he's ascended, because he is present and working in the world through his church by the power of the Holy Spirit. This is who and what the church is. Sent into the world, doing what Jesus did, healing the broken, casting out the enemy, preaching good news to the poor, setting captives free, living out the prayer, thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. And this is all based on the same thing it was at Sinai, but, uh, but through the lens of the gospel, through the good news of Jesus' forgiveness to us. God's presence is with us, and that means that we're invited into relationship with him, which sends us on mission into the world. He is with us. He has not gone away. And a big part of what I'm saying is this hasn't changed. Like, Pentecost supersedes Sinai because it's a greater event, but nothing has come along to supersede it since. This is still the situation. God continues to be alive and at work in the world, and particularly through his church. That's what Pentecost means. If you ask the question, uh, what does this mean? What's happening? God has established a new kind of relationship with his people. He has said, I will be with you and at work through you, not because you can keep my law, but because I love you and because of what I've done. And that's still true today. If that's true, if that's what Pentecost means, then with the crowds we ask, what should we do? What should we do? Uh, Peter, his summary statement, and this is true, right? Like the Holy Spirit always points back to Jesus. The Holy Spirit is always pointing back to Jesus. Peter says, in summary, know for certain that God has made this Jesus both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom whom you crucified. What does the coming of the Holy Spirit mean? It means that Jesus is Lord. He is king. What should we do, they ask? 
we ask with them, what should we do? And his answer, repent, be baptized, and receive the gift of the Holy Spirit also. Of the Holy Spirit also. So the, the, I've given you a long, complicated explanation, but the bottom line is this, and I'll be very brief in ending. When we hear that the Holy Spirit is alive and at work among us, he's here to tell us that Jesus Christ is Lord, and the res- proper response to that message is repentance. Why? Because we worship a lot of other kings. We have a lot of other primary loyalties. Um, I did not know that I was going to be preaching today until last night. Um, Jay Holstead was supposed to preach today, and he had to go to the hospital. He's okay. Um, pray for him. But even before I knew that I was going to be preaching, I'd been praying about today a lot, uh, and God, I felt, led me in Scripture uh, to, to Isaiah chapter 58, verses 1 through 3, which say, um, Shout it aloud, do not hold back, raise your voice like a trumpet, tell my people of their sin. And I was like, okay, God, um, when do you want me to do that? <laughs> oh, okay. Um, <laughs> Yeah, you're tracking, obviously. And so in, in continuing to pray about that, well, Lord, what sin? And then I read this passage, and the simple call to response is repent. Jesus is Lord, repent. There's a lot of work we need to do here, a lot of unwinding and unraveling of, the, of all the, the false lords in our lives. I'm going to teach a class in a few weeks where we get into that work and really try to dig into it to think about all the other allegiances we have and the other things uh, that, that supersede Christ in our life as our values and as our, really as our king. But as I've been praying about this, I recognize that I don't have the power in myself to, to do anything about that. <laughs> um, to, to be able to uh, be delivered from these other lords, um, that ongoing work of unraveling is part of the work of sanctification. It's something that God continues to do in his believers, and we never get done doing it. We continue to submit to the love of Christ in every part of our lives, little by little, and we're transformed across all of our lives. But there's always this initial work that that God himself does, that God himself initiates, and he continues to initiate throughout our lives. Uh, uh, He moves and calls us to repentance. The stuff that happened on Pentecost was nobody's idea but God's, and that continues to be true today. And so my prayer has been, uh, Lord God, I am powerless to deal with my own sin and the, own, the idols that I carry in my own heart. Please come by your power and overthrow them. And my sense has been on this Pentecost Sunday that that's exactly the work that God wants to do in our hearts. Uh, the prayer that keeps coming up over and over again for me is, Lord, turn the hearts of your people back to you. That's what I was already praying, and, I, and, I, and it seems to be the invitation today. Jesus is Lord and yet we follow and worship so many other things with our, with, with our lives. Lord, I can't over, overcome that myself. On this Pentecost Sunday, come and break the chains. Let this be a day when your power overcomes all those other idolatries in my heart. And where I once again remember that you are my king and where I can follow you. Lord, do this in me by your power. That's been my prayer for myself and it has been my prayer for you. And so, friends, in a few minutes, uh, we're going to come to the rail. And this is true every single Sunday, but I want to be really explicit about today that this is our altar call, right? 
we have an altar call every week, and the altar call is the invitation to come to the rail to receive communion. This is the opportunity, this is the time and the place to come and lay down, to repent, to lay down those other lords in light of the proclamation that Jesus is actually Lord. That's not a piece of information that we file away. It is a truth that demands our response. He is king. And so when we recognize that we have not followed him, that there are other things in charge, other things that we love more, other allegiances, we just simply come and we, and we, and we, and we submit those things to him. We repent, and as we do, we receive his body and his blood, his loving presence with us, to be empowered, to be delivered, to have those chains broken. So that's the invitation today, friends. We're going to come in a minute, we're going to come to the rail, and I invite you to come and do that. But I want to just pause for a moment in the spirit of waiting uh, that the, the, the apostles had to enter into before the Holy Spirit came. Uh, so you're not just listening to me talk and then moving on to the next thing. We're just going to be silent for a couple of minutes. And I invite you to join me in that time in praying that the Holy Spirit would reveal those idols and that he would break their power. So join me as I pray. Lord Jesus, you are among us. You are not far away. You are at work. And you are Lord. But Lord, we follow many other lords. We confess we are not able in our own strength to break their power over us. But you are strong enough. You're stronger than the strong man. So come, Holy Spirit, we pray on this Pentecost Sunday and break those chains. Return our hearts to you. Turn the hearts of your people to you, O Lord. Do what we cannot do and teach us to love you in a fresh way. Come, Holy Spirit, we pray. Come, Holy Spirit.